This archival program of Design Matters with Debbie Millman was produced for Voice America Internet Radio. New programs with better audio quality are now being produced for Design Observer. You can subscribe in the iTunes Store or at the Observer Media Channel on Design Observer. Welcome to Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the show that takes you inside the provocative and stimulating world of design and branding as it intersects with contemporary culture. Here's your host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. I am fascinated by numbers and physics. I have favorite numbers and numbers that I hate. I think certain numbers are beautiful, like the numbers 8 or 11, and others that I think are awkward or even ugly, like 31 or 47. I like that numbers can signify things, horrible things like 9-11 or provocative things like 69 or ingenious things like the television show 24. I love to follow the stock market with its unpredictable ups and downs, and I'm slightly addicted to both roulette and poker and the momentary suspicion of time and belief that gambling on numbers can create as you wait for your particular numbers to come up or not. I've become both perplexed and enraptured with some of the more modern theories of physics, string theory being the most interesting and challenging to me. Over the last few years, I've been reading as much as I can on the life and work of Albert Einstein, especially his work after publishing his theory of relativity. During the last three decades of his life, Einstein became obsessed by the dream of producing a unified theory of the laws of physics, an equation that would establish a link between the seemingly unrelated forces of gravity and electromagnetism. He was convinced that this existed, despite all the evidence to the contrary and the scorn of the science community. When asked about what he was attempting to accomplish with his unifying theory, his response was this, to understand the mind of God. In trying to discover a unifying theory, Einstein hoped to resolve the inherent conflict between the then two competing visions of the universe, the smooth continuum of space-time where people and stars and planets reign, as explained by his general theory of relativity, and the unseemly animation of the quantum world. Einstein worked hard on the problem, but success eluded him. That was no surprise to his contemporaries who saw his quest as not only indulgent, but ridiculous in that of a crazy old man. They were sure he had gone a little mad and was simply wasting his time and diluting his legacy. In contrast to the ideas of the time, Einstein was convinced that in the conflict between quantum mechanics and general relativity, it was the former that constituted the crux of the problem. I must seem like an ostrich who forever buries its head in the sand, he said, near the end of his life. We now know, of course, that it is indeed Einstein's theory of relativity that ultimately fails. On extremely fine scales, space-time and thus reality itself becomes grainy and discontinuous like a badly over-magnified newspaper photograph. The equations of general relativity simply can't handle such a situation where the laws of cause and effect break down and particles jump from point A to point B without going through the space in between. In such a world, you can only calculate what will probably happen next, which is just what quantum theory is designed to do. Einstein could never accept that the universe was at its heart a cosmic crapshoot, evident in another of his famous quotes, God wouldn't play dice with the universe, but the mystery he tried to solve is still so utterly fundamental. 
In simply recognizing the problem, Einstein was so daringly ahead of his time that, not, that now only has the rest of physics begun to catch up. A new generation of scientists has at last taken on the challenge of creating a complete theory, one capable of explaining, in Einstein's words, every element of physical reality. And judging from the progress that they have made, the next century could usher in an intellectual revolution even more exciting than the one Einstein helped to launch in the early 1900s. But at the heart of all of his endeavors, Einstein used his imagination and his willpower to come up with his ideas. That is one of the other unifying principles of the universe as we know it, or as at least I think it is. Anyone and everyone can use their imaginations to come up with ideas, both little and large, and influence, change, or impact the world, whether it be physics, art, design, number theory, politics, or even gardening. And to me, that is what makes this particular universe so incredibly special. Welcome to season, the season two finale of Design Matters. My guest today also shares my love of numbers and Einstein's love and admiration of ideas, the lovely Emily Oberman. But before we get started with today's interview, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Emily Oberman is a partner with Bonnie Siegler of Number 17, a design firm working in television, film, print, products, and the web. Some of their recent work includes creative directing the newly reinvented Colors magazine, creating the identity and advertising for Air America Radio, the ongoing identity for the River to River Festival in downtown New York City, a new line of baby food called Homemade Baby, books for InStyle magazine, Will and Grace, Desperate Housewives, and Sex in the City. Other clients include Saturday Night Live, Condé Nast, Nickelodeon, Hyperion, Miramax Books, NBC, MTV, HBO, Lifetime TV, TV Guide, the Mercer Hotel, as well as the Maritime Hotel and the Westin Hotel chain. And the list goes on and on. Emily and Bonnie also write a monthly comic strip for Step Magazine about the trials and tribulations of life in a small design studio. Welcome, Emily. Thank you. Hi. How are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So let's do the serious stuff first. Um, let's talk about that the number. That was light. What you just did. <laughs> well, you know, you're ahead of your time too, Em, and, you know, <laughs> it has to be put into context. Um, let's talk about the number 17. It's an incredible number. 17 is the sum of the first four primes. It is the atomic number of chlorine. A swear word in Swedish, the name of a pornographic film company. I thought you'd like that. The number of syllables in a haiku. And MIT describes the number 17 as the least random number, although I do have to confess that it comes up an awful lot when I play roulette because I always play it. And it is also the name of your firm. So tell us about how you decided on number 17 for those listeners that might not be aware. Wait, I thought the fact that it was the least random number meant that it would come up more often. <gasps> Good point. The and that, right. as you said that, I just thought, well, then the, na- uh, the story of the name of our company just sucks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, let's, let's hear it anyway, okay. just, for, just for propriety's sake. Well, first of all, I love that it's a swear word in Swedish, and I love that there's a porn company named after it. I'll have to look that up. Um, okay, so my... Uh, the company, Number 17, started out pretty much like the day. The idea of it started the day that Bonnie and I met. And Bonnie and I met at a job right out of college, and we pretty much said hello to each other and were best friends ever since. And we always knew that we would start a company. And um, we both went on to other jobs. I went to work at Emmett Company, and she went to work at MTV and VH1. 
but we stayed, you know, in constant contact. And in the beginning of our friendship, what we would do was we would take trips together. And the very first trip that we ever took together was to Spain. And we went to pick up our car. And the woman said, here are the keys to your car. It will be in space number 17. And, of course, at that time, that meant absolutely nothing to us. And then we drove into Barcelona and checked into our hotel where we were sharing a room because we were younger, and that's what we did. And the woman said, here are the keys to your room. It's going to be in in, uh, room number 17. And we were like, huh, that's funny because our car was in space number 17. And so we went in, we dropped our bags, we went off to a Gaudi museum, and we had to check our tiny backpacks, which were all the rage at the time. And the woman handed us a plaque to put them in, you know, for the cubby, and the plaque said in giant letters, number 17 on it. And we were just like, okay, that's it, this is weird. And for the rest of the trip, that number kept following us around. Like we'd drive into a town where there was nowhere to stay, and people would point to the one tiny little place that you could stay, and it was called Pension Number 17, or... We would um, just, whatever, it just kept turning up numbers on tables, and we, um, when we came back, it continued to follow both of us in our separate lives, and it just kept coming up and coming up, and when we decided that it was time for us to have a company, there was just no question about what the name would be. It was just, it was just a complete no-brainer, and what we like about it is that it's prime, aside from being the sum of the first four prime numbers, it itself is prime, and it's gives us a name for our company that isn't our names or isn't about the fact that we're women and isn't about design. So if we wanted to start doing something else tomorrow, completely other, we, we could keep the name. Wonderful. Well, rumor has it that you have uh, little people living in the freezer in your office. Um, is that true? And if so, why? Okay, that is the weirdest thing. <laughs> I know exactly where you got that information from there, um, because... There was an article in, like, a step about us, and it just happened to come up that there were these people in the freezer, and they were so obsessed with it that it became, like, the main one of the main features of the story, and Bonnie and I have always been puzzled by that. What it was is we had done a photo shoot for an article when we were working on Lucky about wedding gifts, and so we had all these cake top ornament things of brides and grooms and bridesmaids and stuff like that, and we had them left over from the shoot, and... We didn't know what to do with it, and as a joke one day, Nomi put them in the freezer. Nomi, who is our general manager at the office, just put them in the freezer so that someday one of us would laugh when we opened the freezer. And, well, they've just stayed there ever since. Nomi said she put them in there to keep the coffee company. Yeah, that's the part that I thought was the most beautiful of the story. They're still there. They're still there. Oh, and yeah. no, no frostbite? No, they look fine. <laughs> and they're all still together. <laughs> Happy family. So, Emily, why did you become a designer? Well, I became a designer. You know how people say one of the things about graphic design is, you know, getting your mother to understand what you do? I had the opposite problem. My parents, I come from a design family. My mother is a painter and a sculptor, and my father is a graphic designer. So my whole life was full of design from the moment I was born. So it's almost like I took a much shorter journey than a lot of my friends and colleagues who are designers today. I just sort of fell into the family business. And I was always completely obsessed with typography. And, like, I would sit for hours and trace typefaces to put on letters to my friends when I was a child. And, like, you know, it was the 70s, so I could do you know, Arnold Buckland real well, really well. Or, 
Pena. And exactly, Pena. I could do that one. I did that one. Mary a lot. Tyler Moore show. Um, and uh, so it was just always, you know, my parents were always fans of design and fans of art. So there, were, there was just art everywhere. My parents went to Cooper Union. All their friends went to Cooper Union. I was just surrounded by it. Always. So from the time you were a little girl, you wanted to be a designer? There was a period when I wanted to be a tap-dancing architect, but <laughs> other than that, <laughs> if you had to have chosen tap-dancer architect, which would it have been? No, no, no. It was a tap-dancing architect. Oh, both. Both. I see. That's, a, um, that's very cute. Tap-dancer. Tap-dancer. Well, we have to take our first break, unfortunately. I'd like to let everyone know that they are listening to the Season 2 finale of Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the lovely Emily Oberman. We'll be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. You're listening to The Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Technology is only as good as its execution. On CIO Talk Radio, host Sung Jo Gall will interview CIOs, CTOs, and other decision makers about their insights in dealing with technology. Learn directly from these subject matter experts on how to get the best returns out of your investment in IT. Know ahead of time what problems and challenges you face in executing IT strategies in the real world. If you are a technology manager, consultant, or advisor, you cannot afford to miss out on what today's technology thought leaders have to say about today's most urgent IT issues. Listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sung Jogal every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. You hear business show after business show all geared towards improving a company's bottom line. But what about your bottom line? How come no one ever talks about that? Finally, a show dedicated to the worker. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, The Crow Show is aimed specifically at the worker and their environment. From work skills and technology to dealing with bosses and coworkers, The Crow Show will give you insight on how to survive and prosper in today's workplace. The Crow Show with Paul McLaughlin, The Work Wonk. Heard every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of Business Talk, businessamericaradio.com. Think you've got a grip on the profit potential your property has? Tune in to voiceamerica.com Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Commercial Real Estate 101 with Dennis Manning. Dennis will teach you the ins and outs of the massive world of real estate. You will learn the rewards and pitfalls of why to invest in commercial real estate. You'll also hear from experts in property management, lending, title work, tax-deferred exchanges, legal issues, and many entrepreneurial investors. The best part? You'll learn to generate a regular income that will lead to enticing capital gains. So don't miss one moment of Commercial Real Estate 101 with Dennis Manning. Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, right here on voiceamerica.com. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business. This is Voice America Business. Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now, back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. 
Welcome back. It is 3.18 Eastern Time, and you are listening to the Season 2 finale of Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the witty and fascinating Emily Oberman, partner at the design firm Number 17. If you would like to join our conversation or if you have a question for Emily, please call 1-866-233-7861. And, Emily, before the break, we were talking a little bit about what you wanted to be uh, when you were little. Um, But now that you're all grown up um, and have this wonderful, successful firm, um, I want to read you a quote that I found that was written by Seth Godin and thought that it was really interesting. Um, This is the quote. It says, Their office, meaning number 17's office, is hidden behind a nondescript door in a nondescript building, on an oddball corner of New York, but once the door opens, visitors are overwhelmed by fun, nostalgia, quirkiness, and raw energy. Nobody buys pure design from number 17. They they buy the way the process makes them feel. So how do you make people feel? What do you do that creates this energy and this intensity? Um, I think that we generally just make people feel comfortable and like we understand them. But I also have to say... That statement is true about any design studio. I mean, you don't buy you don't buy pure design necessarily from anyone. You choose the design studio or the designer who's going to work on your project because you make a certain connection with that person. And I think that the kind of people who gravitate towards us feel what the connection that comes from the way we are. And the way we are is very honest, very direct. I mean, we try to like make everything about the idea, but Really, it's always about making an emotional connection with our audience, and we try to do that with our client as well. So I think people, as soon as they walk into our office, which is kind of cacophonous, there are a lot of toys, and there are, it's very open, and all the designers are out chatting with each other and looking over each other's shoulders, and there's a very open feeling, I think, I hope, when you first walk in the door and when you sit with us and when you talk to us about work. or We're also very open about what we think about where a client should take a project or take something and we're, it's hard for us to bite our tongues if we disagree with something. And I think that that sort of ambiance makes people feel a certain way. And it either makes people very comfortable or very uncomfortable. And so there, people are either comfortable in our environment, which is happy and also witty and lighthearted and fun and pleasant. What kind of toys do you have in your office? Oh, God. Well... We have a uh, kerplunk. Um, we have a lot of we have a lot of knickknacks and stuff. We collect, of course, things that have, we find that have the number seventeen on it. We have some dolls. We have a smoking monkey. Uh, <laughs> Where did you get that? Um, it was a gift. Okay. And doesn't everybody have a smoking monkey? I have a furry Mr. Peanut. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> um. Sorry, <laughs> Emily's kind of entranced by my fluffy and furry Mr. Peanut. Um, we have a, a bunch of board games from all different periods of time that mostly, you know, from yard sales, and we have um, some paintings that my mother did, some sand art that my mother did on commission for us for a project. Um, just, it's all kooky stuff. Now, Emily, you arguably have one of the most extraordinary client lists I've seen. 
Um, how do you get such incredible clients, MTV, VH1, working with Sarah Jessica Parker, working with uh, the Desperate Housewives cast? Tell us about how you get your business. Um, damned if I know. Really, they just call you. I, I have to say we have not yet made a call for work, knock on plywood. I just, I don't know. And, and uh, I think when that day comes, and it will, we will uh, will 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 panic. <laughs> do you often turn down work? We ha- we do turn down work. We turn down work sometimes when we're overwhelmed, and we turn down work if we are not. Uh, we're lucky enough that we can turn down work that doesn't appeal to us or that doesn't uh, isn't for someone with whom we'd like to be associated. Maybe for example, can you give us an example of a, a piece of work that you might have turned down? I'm trying to think. I can't think of anything right okay. at this moment. Um, so you and Bonnie are best friends, and you've been best friends since the day that you met. How do you protect your friendship in a business environment? Our, our friendship, I think, is stronger than ever now. And it's funny because it's morphed so much over the years. Like at first we were just friends who, you know, talked about design and talked about life. And I actually think that that has been helpful to us. Like there's never been a moment where we weren't always talking about both design and, you know, makeup and shoes and TV and pop culture and politics all at once. And that's pretty much what a day is like at number 17 to this day. Like you can be in the middle of a heated argument about something we disagree with and suddenly you're like, is that a lipstick? Like and it just – and and – it just everything just completely flows back and forth with us, and there's not a hierarchy of how the information should be passed, whether it's fun information or work information. It's just completely fluid, and that I think has helped us a lot in having a company together. You know, when we first were going to start the company, we had an accountant who said, uh, "Never, you know, don't be a partner with your best friend, and also, if you are, make one of you the." sole proprietor and one of you just a 50% partner and oh wow we fired him good good and um, we've never you know our friendship is strong enough that we know that the company is strong enough um, Emily we have a caller uh, we have Gregory from New York Gregory welcome to Design Matters hi Debbie hi Emily how are you good how are you good um, I, I'm just curious in, in an age I guess where Maytag and Whirlpool are going to uh, merge uh-huh. And the Miss America pageant may not ever be held in Atlantic City again, so I saw in the elevator today. Uh, can you tell me what brand icon you miss the most? Things, what? sort of our cultural identity, things that we were used to seeing and suddenly we don't see anymore? Well, of course, I miss the UPS logo. Every <laughs> day of my life since it went away, I actually... Um, got our UPS guy to give me his old jacket before he <gasps> went over oh. to the new logo. Um, it's all over, isn't it? It is. I mean, it is all over. And I'm, I'm as I sit here, I'm a little concerned about what I'm going to say next. Um, <laughs> I, I miss the old Hershey package. Oh, uh, amen, amen. I miss the old Wrigley's oh, gum packaging. God, like all those kinds of icons, those things that sort of get redesigned so that they seem newer or fresher or right. hipper. 
just, you know, and then somewhere in the back of my mind, I think, okay, in 20 years, you know what? They're going to go back to the old house. Oh, yeah. They're going to be like, it's going to be really cool to be retro, and all of that stuff right. will come back. And uh, well, it, yeah, it's all starting already. Happens, already. The Double so Minerals are back. I researched the original packages back. Um, I think that part of that is our need for nostalgia and feeling safe and comfortable in times of incredible turbulence, but I also think it's because a lot of organizations, companies, design firms have no good ideas, and so, you know, you end up having to go back to something that, that worked before. But thank you for calling. Thank you for calling Design Matters, Gregory. Um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, Emily, is what happens when you and Bonnie disagree about whether it be design or the direction of the business, or if, if indeed that ever happens? How do you navigate through what can sometimes be just sort of normal human ups and downs? Well, uh, we, you know, we fight sometimes not pretty. Um, you know, it's not always that we're in perfect agreement. We have certain rules, which is that, you know, nothing ever leaves the office that one of us absolutely hates. Like, even if the other one of us really loves it, it just means going back and figuring out another way to do it, another idea. And, you know, hopefully you're smart enough to come up with another good idea. Um, we have... Uh, you know, we have big fights, and sometimes they end in... I mean, usually they end in some gigantic reconciliation of like, no, no, I just wanted it to be good for you. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think of a time that we that we came to an impasse, and I can't really. When we work, it's you know since we're always trying to solve the problem, if one of us isn't happy, we try to go back in and solve the problem again. And there's something exciting about that. Um, we also have done something smart business-wise where we never argue over the company and in that the company is sort of all the rules about what would happen if the company ended are all already set up. So there's no question and that alleviates any argument. Like you always hear about other partners who argue over who had what share of the business and who brought in what amount of work and that's just not not part of who we are or the way our company is structured. Well, I actually read an interesting um comment that you'd made uh, when asked about how you manage to work your partnership with, you know, different ways of working that people have. And you mentioned that back in the 80s you'd heard of a firm that was run by two men that were always complaining about the fact that one did more than the other and they were always complaining about that, whereas you and Bonnie, your attitude is more like you're always thinking that the other is doing more and you're trying to keep up with that. That is basically the crux of every fight we've ever had, which is that one of us thinks that the other is doing all the work and the other is not pulling her weight. I mean, so you're really just it, looking for reassurance from each other and it turns into a fight. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what happens. And we have the sort of the same fight over and over again and come to the same conclusion. And it, it's always it's always like a relief when we come to that conclusion and then we sort of realize, like, oh, it's that again. Like, we should just give it a number, not 770. <laughs> 87 and, like, okay, we're in, the, we're in the 87 spot. Like, let's move on. Um now, do you think that that's an inherent, and I hate asking this question, but I just have to, um, do you think that the difference between the way you and Bonnie managed to handle those types of situations and the way this other firm in the 80s was handling it is significant from a gender perspective? Do you think that gender has anything to do with it, or do you think it's simply the way that you both are and the way that they both were? Uh, it's probably a little bit of both, but I think that it is a gender thing. As loath as I am to, like, sort of say that there are gender things, I do think that this particular instance, 
it is very much, I mean, it is very much who Bonnie and I are as people, like insecure, um, but I think it is that we're women and, and we take the burden on ourselves and worry about it as ourselves as opposed to saying, you, you're fucking up. No, it's not me, it's you. It seems That seems very male to me. Yeah, I, I got an email from somebody that was listening to the show uh, two weeks ago wherein I confessed that you were my girl crush and we were talking about the various um, differences between men and women. That was during the Bad Boys of Design show and somebody wrote me and said, you know, wouldn't it be great if the only people ever talking about gender differences these days would be the activists? And assuming that just because, you know, I was feeling moody that, you know, people wouldn't necessarily think that I was being bitchy because I'm a woman, but just because everybody has the right to be moody. So it sort of made me feel very, very uncomfortable now thinking about things from a gender perspective. Like, should I even ask Emily, like, what's it like to be running a firm with another woman? Do you find that that there are issues when pitching business that people think, oh, they're women, they might not be as talented or successful or strong or as ballsy as men? But I'm asking anyway, so there you have it. I mean, I do think that, I think it changes with time. Like, I, I think Paula said this on your show. I think it changes. I think in in the beginning, we were much more, you know, the girls, the girls who did design, and people often thought that they could push us around. And we did get pushed around a little bit. But I think over time, the work itself, hopefully, has continued to be strong or good or smart or at least liked by some people. And that makes people treat us as, designers as opposed to women or deal with us in terms of our design as opposed to the fact that we're women. I mean, some of the projects we do are very girly, but like our office is, uh, half the designers in our office right now besides us are men. And, um, And I don't think the work has changed particularly that much because there are men in the office. I think it's still the same zeitgeist, the same idea, the same sort of personality comes through, and that's because we look for like-minded people to work with us, not like-minded women. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, I'd like to come back after our break and talk a little bit more about this, but unfortunately we have to take our next break, and I'd like to let everyone know that they are listening to the Season 2 finale of Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. I am Debbie Millman, and my guest today is the lovely Emily Oberman, who will not be running away with Mikhail Baryshnikov at the end of the episode, Michael Beirut. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. When business is in your blood and you need answers, get connected. Call 1-866-233-7861. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Business talk is all we do. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com.
Tune in to Big Money with Mike Gaisher every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Mike will focus on the issues, needs, and problems affecting the world's largest investors. Join Mike and his guest from the institution investors industry as they discuss investing and controlling your money. Mike has spent his entire adult life in close proximity with the financial markets and has become one of the world's most sought-after teacher and speaker on topics of the securities, markets, and the economy. Author of eight books on the security markets and a monthly newsletter read by over 250,000 people, Mike brings insights, humor, and clarity to this often secretive community. So tune in every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Big Money with Mike Gaisher on business.voiceamerica.com. Are your accounts stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic? Are your finances flowing at two miles an hour? It's time to crank your cash into high gear by tuning in to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense with Bullseye Bruce Horowitz. Every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Bullseye Bruce will give you no-nonsense, common-sense financial advice that anyone can understand, as well as bring you clarity on some of the most complex and confusing financial issues today. So get out of that traffic jam and listen to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business. We're back with Design Matters with Debbie Millman. If you have a question for Debbie, feel free to call us at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, here's the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Live from the Empire State Building, you are listening to the Season 2 finale of Design Matters with Debbie Millman, the only talk radio show on the air focusing on issues relating to graphic design, branding, and culture. I am Debbie Millman, your host, and my guest today is the witty Emily Oberman, partner at the design firm Number 17. If you want to join our conversation or have a question for Emily, please call 1-866-233-7861. And, Emily, um, I know that you worked with Sarah Jessica Parker on the design of the Sex and the City book, and she now has a new fragrance out called Lovely, and I just read the Vogue story on her. And a bit of the backstory included um, how she came up with the scent, and in the article she talks about how people always talked about how nice she smelled and that her smell always lingered in a room long after she left it. So, the big question I want to ask you is, did you have that experience with her? What did she smell like? I did not have that experience with her at all. Really? Uh-huh. Really. I, I mean, unless maybe I had a really bad cold a couple of times she was in the office, but I don't recall her smelling one way or another. <laughs> did you have fun working with her? Um, she was actually, I have to say, lovely. Yeah. I mean, she was really, she was very, she was smart, she was into it. I mean, we had a, we had a lucky experience with the Sex and the City book in that when they came to us to work on the book, they hadn't started it, at, they had nothing. And so we met with the writers and the producers of the show and helped come up with the ideas for what the content would be in the book. And so we got to, like, come up with ideas like this, there's a spread in the book that's everyone they ever slept with and, I mean, everyone they ever dated and whether they slept with them or not. Yes, I've, I've and, seen it. It's a great book and beautiful. Um, and so being able to come up, like one of our the things that we like to do is 
be involved in the content from the very beginning. And so we were, and we were able to do that, and she was very open to our suggestions. And she was, I mean, she wasn't that, she wasn't particularly hands-on with the book because when we met with her in the beginning, she liked what we were doing. We had a conversation. We worked well together, and she sort of trusted us from there on out. And, and you know, we met with her a couple of other times, and it was always it was always very nice, and she was very pleasant. And she, I'm sure she smelled good, and I just <laughs> don't remember it. Um, we have a caller on the line for you, Emily Leslie from California. Welcome to Design Matters. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's so exciting listening to your show. Emily, I didn't know who was behind all those really awesome designs, so it's amazing to um, find out who you are. Hi. Um, so now that we know about your work, I want to ask you some Personal questions. Um, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite city? And what's your sign? Oh, uh, that's easy. Those are all easy. My favorite color is orange. My favorite city is New York. And my sign is Virgo. And my birthday is Thursday. So, Cardi's being accepted. Um, yeah, that, that was easy. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank, thank you for calling letter. Design Matters, Leslie. Um, Emily, I want to talk to you about uh, being married to a phenomenal designer. You're married to Paul Saar. Um, Sayer. Sayer. And it's funny because I I have this, like, embedded in my brain to say it wrong. I'm so sorry. Um, So what is it like to be married to another high-powered designer? Um, Fun. Uh, You know, we get along really well. We have, I I hope, a really good marriage, and uh, it's really nice because, we can talk about work all the time, which I, I, it's funny. My relationship with Bonnie and my relationship with Paul are not that different in that way in that, like, conversations go from design to surfing in, you know, seconds. And Like, in fact, I, when Paul and I first started dating, he, we had a huge face, a huge fight about open typefaces. <laughs> like, outline. And he was really, I remember him telling me that he talked to a friend and he was like, I don't know. I don't know. She likes outline typography. Deal breaker. That was almost. Uh, so no, our it's very, it's very nice. I mean, he is in my mind one of the best designers I've ever met. You know, from the day I met him, I was blown away by his work, and uh, I, I'm constantly amazed at how he churns out just beautiful piece after beautiful piece, and I feel like. I feel like, I I mean, I'm jealous of him. I'm jealous of his ability and his talent, and I love showing him work because he's got such a good eye and such a smart take, and he's so honest about everything. Like, he, the way he looks at design is incredibly honest and incredibly truthful, and it's it's great to show him work, and I like, you know, I like when he shows me work. We've tried to collaborate a couple times. Not good. Why? Oh, (laughs) too, like... To, first of all, our work is very different. Um, he, you know, his. I think our work at Number Seventeen is sort of more light and witty, and his work is sort of more serious and wrought. Mm. Um, and so, Good words. the it's and it's nice because we work together well. That I mean, we think well together, but we work differently. But we've had some really. Yes, we've had some really uh, big fights when it came to collaborating because I think we both have really, you know, fairly good-sized egos, and it gets to the point where, like, no, don't touch my own, and and I think some of the biggest fights we've ever had were about 
you know, whether to put a mustache on something or not. I think that actually sounds rather romantic. Um, you worked for many years with Tibor Kelman. Um, can you tell us what that was like? <laughs> that was uh, one of the most amazing times of my life. I, you know, I worked for six years uh, for with Tibor, and he also is one of the smartest, most charming, most engaging uh, craziest human beings I've ever met. And I like to think that a lot of the way I try to think now is based on the way he taught me to think then. Um, you know, he always was interested in, you know, okay, you've got a good idea. What's a better idea? What's the idea to beat? Okay, you're thinking about this one way. What's a different way that you can think about it? What's a way that you can turn it upside down or inside out or change the way the client thinks he needs his information to be delivered to be actually just the best way the information needs to be delivered. And we try to do that at number 17. And sometimes it's successful and sometimes it isn't and sometimes it's frustrating. Uh, but I love having had that lesson. I mean, I like to, I think of M & Company as sort of graduate school. As my mm -hmm. grad, I'm sure a lot of other people, you know, people I was at M & Company with would agree with me. And also, I have to say, I, you know, many of my best friends came from that period of time. <clears throat> but Tibor was incredibly funny and sharp and smart. And he also had this lovely thing, which was my, his collaboration with Myra, mm -hmm. which was also amazing to watch on a daily basis. And it's funny because my father's a graphic designer and my mother is a painter and a sculptor and an illustrator. I always like to think that I found my home at Emmon Company because there was a similarity there. There was like, it, it felt like home to me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I got to do amazing work that I would not have been able to do. And certainly nobody could sell work like Tibor. Nobody could, you know, walk into a room and get anyone to buy anything. He had that, he was like the P.T. Barnum of graphic design. He had that gift. And so it was great because all of this work got produced that, like, maybe today people would be afraid to produce. Mm. What project would you say you're most proud of from those years with him? Well, of course, there's the Talking Heads video for Nothing But Flowers. That was a really big part of both of our lives because n neither of us had done anything like that, and we were both sort of, I mean, we were both sort of flying by the seat of our pants in terms of, like, how do you make a music video? How do you shoot people? How do you make type move? And it's funny because it was only like 15 years ago, but back then you would say, like, I'd like the type to move from left to right on the screen to a guy who was working at a machine called a Harry. And he would say, all right, come back in eight hours. Oh, my And, God. you know, <laughs> like eight wow. hours later you'd come back and say, a little slower, and he'd be like, see you tomorrow. <laughs> and now it's like, it's so fast, right? <laughs> it's so fast, and we do it in our office, and we all can do it. Like, it's just it's crazy. Like, you know, we made a whole, we revised a whole TV spot today wow. before, I, <laughs> before I came here. So it's a very different world. It's incredible what's happened in the last 15 years. I think that we're probably the last generation of designers that actually ever worked on a drafting table. And I'm happy we did. Me too. I'm happy to have had that experience. And I think, you know, when you're in school and you don't want to do the things that they that teachers make you do, the 
drawing a big letter form and all of that stuff. It's so important. It's so, you know, I, I teach a class at Cooper Union, and it's amazing to me how some of the kids don't have the sort of basic fundamentals of design, and all of that is so important to not only having a good idea, but to executing a good idea. To Like, you need the foundation in order to make the building beautiful. Like, yes. Well, Emily, it's time for another break, sadly. Um, last 15 minutes of our show are coming up. Uh, I'd like to let everyone know that they're listening to the Season 2 finale of Design Matters with Debbie Millman on Voice America Business. My guest today is the wonderful and witty Emily Oberman. We will be right back with our broadcast after these messages, so please don't go away. More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. What stock should I buy? When is it time to sell? Where do I turn for honest advice on my portfolio? For the answers to these questions, tune in to Trading in Today's Markets with Oliver Elvelez and Greg Capra every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. On the show, Oliver, Greg, and their guests will discuss the daily going-ons of Wall Street as well as give you tips on how to identify the hottest sectors and trends in the market. Improve your portfolio. Listen to Trading in Today's Markets with Oliver Elvelez and Greg Capra. Broadcast live on Business America Radio every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Business talk is all we do. Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Are your accounts stuck in bumper-to-bumper traffic? Are your finances flowing at two miles an hour? It's time to crank your cash into high gear by tuning in to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense with Bullseye Bruce Horowitz. Every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Bullseye Bruce will give you no-nonsense, common-sense financial advice that anyone can understand, as well as bring you clarity on some of the most complex and confusing financial issues today. So get out of that traffic jam and listen to Making Sense of Financial Nonsense every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market? If so, then you need to tune in to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, Jordan Kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on Wall Street, as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit-pumping pro. Grab the bull market by the horns and listen to Profitable Investing with Jordan Kimmel. Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line of business talk, Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Eldana Ambler. On the show, Eldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Eldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Eldana Ambler and The Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. Welcome back to Design Matters with Debbie Millman. 
If you would like to be a caller on the show, dial toll-free at 1-866-233-7861. Once again, that's 1-866-233-7861. And now back to the host of Design Matters, Debbie Millman. Welcome back. It is 3.50 Eastern Time, and you're listening to the final moments of the Season 2 finale of Design Matters with Debbie Millman, live from the Empire State Building in New York City. I am your host, Debbie Millman, and my guest today is lovely Emily Oberman, partner at the design firm Number 17. So, Emily, you just ended your tenure designing the magazine Colors. What was that experience like for you? That was another very intense very uh, unique experience. I mean, the funny thing is, uh, a million years ago when I was at M & Company, Tibor came up with the idea for colors, and or I guess Oliviero had the Oliviero Toscani of Benetton had the idea to do a magazine and came to Tibor, and Tibor didn't just want to design it. He wanted to be the editor-in-chief, and he took on this project that became one of the great loves of his life, I think, design-wise. He, you know, invented this magazine, and I worked with him on the very first issue of Colors. So I was the graphic designer who, who took on the very first issue of Colors and the logo. And uh, then all these years later, more coincidentally than because of that, I mean, Tibor had known Kurt Anderson back then, and I think had talked to him about taking over the editorship at a certain point, um, that Benetton offered the magazine to Kurt, to be the editor-in-chief, and he came to us, again, sort of almost coincidentally, but not entirely coincidentally, to work on the new design. And Kurt wanted to take the magazine in a kind of a new direction. He wanted to make it more magazine-like with more actual articles and feature stories and bylines. And sort of the opposite of what Tibor was intending at the time. At the time, Colors was very much more like quick hits and brilliant and amazing things that People hadn't gotten the people all around the world hadn't necessarily gotten a chance to see all that kinds of those kinds of imagery, um, and I think that Kurt felt that times had changed and he wanted to sort of bring the magazine to a different place. And so we worked for the past year and a half on four issues of Colors. Um, the themes were fans, drugs, borders, and lust, mm. and they remained. You know, it was one of the hardest jobs we've ever done because we did it with a staff of seven. The entire magazine, three bilingual editions. Um, there was Bonnie and I were the creative directors with Kurt as the editor-in-chief. There was Wade Convey, who was the designer in our office who worked on the magazine. And there was a managing editor and a deputy editor and a photo editor. Wow. That's a very small group of people for a big magazine. Yeah, and then, you know, and then there were other people who came in. I don't want to... I don't want to, you know, leave out that there were other people who came in and worked on the magazine as well, but, you know, like three others, not for the whole time. And everyone worked really, really hard and did an amazing job, but it was, you know, a a double full-time. Yeah, I mean, Tibor closed Yemen Company and moved to Italy to to run the magazine. So did you manage to work for other clients while you've been doing this? Yes, we did. Um, but it was very hard. I mean, that's why we had one person in the office who was a dedicated designer working on it. But Bonnie and I worked on it so very much, again, because we were involved in the content and coming up with what the story ideas would be and how the magazine would flow and all of that stuff, you know, certainly with the other members of the of the cast. But it was it was a tremendous amount of work and most of the time gratifying, 
but not 100% of the time gratifying. And it just got to the point where it was very hard working with a staff in Italy who I think on some level, we, you know, we worked with the people at, in Italy, the Benetton people, who were never happy that it went out of their grip again, that it went back to the United States. I think that they, they would have always liked to have kept it in Italy. And it was just sort of a decision from higher up. And that became a, a difficult back and forth. Um, and so I think at the end of four issues, which is what we had all agreed on in the beginning, we all decided that's a nice number. Yeah, perfect. Um, Good number. Yeah. Um, you've done quite a lot of magazine work. You also worked on the uh, launch of the magazine Lucky for Condé Nast. What was that like? That was amazing also. A crazy. Um, it was James Truman had the idea to for Lucky, and then he hired Kim France, who was the editor-in-chief and still is to, the, to this day, and Andrea Lynette, who was the fashion editor, and me and Bonnie. And basically the five of us worked on this magazine in a bubble for a year. For six months, we did we designed a complete prototype that was only shown to Cy Newhouse and Steve Florio. And at that point, Cy looked at it and said, let's make a magazine, like decided not to test it. He decided the very first issue would just be the test. And then we went and made a whole other magazine in six months. And, and it's one of their most successful magazines to date in terms of Oh, launch. yeah, it's, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And when we were working on it, nobody cared. Like, nobody, like we would say, like, you know, nobody would, photographers wouldn't work for us, and nobody would send over samples. And, and now it's just completely nine-day. One of the proud, things I'm proudest of about Lucky is those stickers that are inside, you know, those stickers that say, yes, yeah, maybe that you go, because that was something that we felt really strongly about including in the magazine. And because that's, you know, it helps you shop the magazine, and the magazine always wanted to be very user-friendly, like kind of like a, it was originally based on a Japanese shopping magazine, though it now no longer looks anything like our original prototype. Um, but the idea of having yes and maybe on the stickers made it much more human to us than having everything just either be yes or be neither, just a sticker. So, again, it was like us sort of trying to think like the audience, who we were anyway. Well, one of the things that I love so much about the magazine, not only the design, but that it really has added a new genre to magazines. This is a whole new level of subject matter, and when there's, you know, 18 magazines in any one category, or minimally 18 magazines, it's nice to know that there's still something original that could be created for people that really satisfies a need. Right, but I think that there would be a lot of people out there who would say the invention of the Magalog is not something to be proud of. But the way I like to think about it is, it's not a Magalog to me. It's a hobby magazine for people whose hobby happens to be shopping. And I'm, you know, politically active and interested in, you know, where this country is going and what people are doing with this life, and I also happen to like to shop. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like it's okay. Well, I think that's very human, and I think the more range people have, the more interesting they are and the more connected to the world they are. So I, I, I think it's wonderful. Um, well, it's time for our one of our show's weekly features, the Pop Culture Quiz, and this is a part of the broadcast where I ask my guests some questions about things that are going on right now or things that I'm just obsessing about or curious about. So um, first question, Em, would you rather be stuck in an elevator with Bobby Sherman or David Cassidy? Oh, please, David Cassidy. No. Yes. Oh, no. Really? Oh, I usually don't answer these. I usually don't have dialogue with the questions. It's like, yes, no, maybe this, maybe that. Oh, I'm oh. definitely 
I'm definitely in the David Cassidy camp. Okay. We'll talk about this after the show is over. Uh, Lingerie with Bonnie, by the way. Really? Oh, my God. Deal breaker. (laughs) (laughs) What defines a man more, his drink or his drive? Now, do you mean his drive as in what he drives or his drive as, like, his drive in life? Um, Up to you? Okay, because if it's what he drives, then I'd say his drink. And if it's his drive in life, then I'd say his drive. Okay, that's cool. Um, lingerie or naked? Lingerie. Okay. Um, if you could silly. <laughs> that's the whole point. We want to leave, we want to end the show with people smiling and happy. Um, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Describe yourself in three words. Uh, smart, funny, Insecure. Okay. Well, thank you, Emily. I'm going to add wonderful and beautiful to that list because I can. Um, we are done for the season. I would like to oh, thank. Oh, I meant to say thank you after you said that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We've come to the end of our second season today, and I'd like to thank my marvelous and very charismatic guest, Emily Oberman. We will be back in the late fall with 13 new shows with guests including Chip Kidd and Todd Prezan, Alexander Isley and Grant McCracken. In the meantime, I'd like to thank the wonderful people at Voice America for all of their support all season long. Denise Dion, Chris Hilliard, Robert Arkin, Ruben Cologne, my wonderful production manager, my executive producer, Brian Travis. I'd also like to thank the staff and my partners at Sterling Brands, my incredible producer, Lisa Grant, my chief researcher, Jen Seinman, and a special thank you to the listeners. Thank you for joining me this season. And until the fall, please remember, we can talk about making a difference, or we can make a difference, or we can do both. I am Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you next season. Voice America Business would like to thank you for tuning in for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Be sure to listen every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for another exciting hour of Design Matters. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business.